Hey, everybody, it's Ryan Ripley. Wanted to get a new offering in front of you as soon as possible, evidence-based leadership. And so, as you all know, Todd Miller, myself, and Will Seeley, we're big on evidence-based management. We want to apply it to the leadership space. We all know that modern managers face complex challenges every day. You're juggling a lot of needs, your direct reports, your stakeholders, your customers, they all need constant attention. What we want to do is help you manage that. We want you to use information and data to make good decisions around all of these areas so that we're delivering the right thing at the right time for the right customer. And we know that we're doing that because we're using data and evidence to validate all the things that we're doing. And not only that, we're not just looking at value, but we're looking at our capabilities as an organization. Can we deliver on time? Can we innovate effectively? Do we have too much tech debt? Do we have too many things in process? Are we unable to deliver when the market demands that we do? We look at all of these things with evidence-based management. We merge that into a leadership uh, mindset and lens, and we enable you to make new and better decisions repeatedly based off of the data that you're collecting within your organization. It's exciting stuff. We hope you can join us. Visit agileforhumans.com forward slash EBL course. Join us in one of these offerings. We think you're going to love it. Hope you can join us. Use Agile for Humans, the number four to take another 15% off of this course. And uh, we can't wait to see you there. This episode is brought to you by Kia's first three-row all-electric SUV, the Kia EV9, with available all-wheel drive and seating for up to seven adults, with zero to 60 speed that thrills you one minute and available lounge seats that unwind you the next. Visit kia.com slash EV9 to learn more. Ask your Kia dealer for availability. No system, no matter how advanced, can compensate for all driver error and or driving conditions. Always drive safely. Welcome to today's episode of Your Daily Scrum. We are professional scrum trainers, Ryan Ripley and Todd Miller, right in the struggle bus today. Yes, sir. Trying to get the brain fog knocked out. We'll see how we do. Uh, we do this show daily, regardless of our mental state or whether or not we're tired, <laughs> to help all of you out there do Scrum a little bit better each and every day. Don't forget to like and subscribe so that you know when we drop a new video, lots of new content coming out. And that like and subscribe really helps us out too. Leave your comments below, ask your questions, and even recently disagree with us if you like. I like it, yeah. We love it. We love a good discussion. So There's some great comments. debates happening in the comments. I like it. Yeah. So uh, keep that going. Certainly enjoy that. Today, let's kill that music and look at the question. Mm -hmm. Todd, how does a scrum team stop doing hardening sprints? Yeah. Uh, tell a little bit of a story about a time that I actually promoted the use of hardening sprints. Yeah. Let's, let's check out the positive and then I'll uh, tear that up. Yeah, so it didn't end positively. So the, the notion, this was very early on in, in my adventures with Scrum. Uh, and uh, we came across this team I was working with. We came across this concept of hardening sprints and felt like we were struggling with quality and felt like if every third sprint, we'd build in a hardening sprint and dedicate the time to catching up on testing and yeah. doing unit testing in that sprint that we might that might have a positive effect on our quality. And uh, what we found is the opposite. What happened was we would build for two or three sprints and then just be like, well, we'll put that in the hardening sprint. We'll put that in the hardening sprint. And what happened is 
we just started basically uh, none of our increments were potentially releasable, right? And um, the cost of delaying things, right? And uh, it, we just got really lazy and our quality became worse. And we found during a retrospective just a few months into trying this that we were just going to stop doing that. That hardening sprints were not worth it. The hardening sprints were actually uh, uh, building bad behaviors. And the opposite was true, that our quality was going down because we were using hardening sprints. And so I don't know if that story is helpful at all, um, but, but that was the only time that I had ever used them. And since then, I've been pretty hardcore against hardening sprints because there aren't any special sprints in Scrum, right? And I felt the effects of, uh, of trying this one time. Yeah, I, I've been down this path as well, and we uh, very similar thing. Every every few sprints, we'll stop, we'll fix bugs, we'll improve our architecture, we'll go through and harden the system, and and it just led to what I noticed as a scrum master was that the devs just stopped worrying. The developers were like, "Yeah, we'll fix it then." So it it just and and I don't think they were bad people. I don't think you're doing anything wrong. I just think it this practice has all the best intentions of the world, right? There's really great reasons on paper to do it, but then the behaviors turn into, well, this can wait for the hardening sprint. This can wait for the hardening sprint. Mm -hmm. And suddenly you're delivering suboptimal code. It's not even meeting a basic definition of done, right? And the hardening sprints are just a disaster. There's merge conflicts. There's all sorts of testing issues. There are all sorts of and it turns out that hardening sprint wasn't long enough to do the full regression and end to end that we need. So it also, that hardening sprint also gives us this false sense of security that we don't need to automate testing. We don't need to automate end to end. We've set all this time to do this. And it just led to things piling up and getting worse. And then the next sprints where we were supposed to be building things were more difficult because the tech debt was accumulating. And what started as an idea to help save the team ended up sinking it. Mm -hmm. And we almost had to, you know, basically commit, um, code base you know uh bankruptcy and and just you know parts of the system had to get scrapped and rewritten and it just i don't know todd if you've seen that too where just large chunks of code just become useless and we got to start again yeah what this is is it's uh it uh, it promotes uh, to be quite honest with you it promotes laziness and procrastination it gives you an excuse to say well it's going to be we've got this 80 percent of the way the last 20 percent is the hardest to do so we'll just switch to the hardening sprint Right. And then you get to the hardening sprint and then business pressures come on you anyway. So you don't really spend the time that you really should have done, spent in the first place getting it right, yeah. to actually getting it right. Um, so I don't know. It's uh, 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 just to reiterate, there are no special sprints in Scrum. Right. Uh, this notion of a hardening sprint uh, seems good, as you were mentioning, seems good on the surface. Yep. But we've both experienced how damaging it can be. Um, even even in the short term. So, so be cautious. You, trans, you transition away from this by strengthening your definition of done. So all the things that you were doing in the hardening sprint, add those things to your definition of done and then commit to making sure those things are complete by the end of a sprint, which means you're going to pull in less work. But that work during a sprint is actually going to hopefully meet a sprint goal, but also meet the quality standards that you've set in the definition of done. So mm -hmm. how do you how do you get away from this terrible practice. Um, you enhance your definition of done. You commit to that level of quality. You openly discuss with your stakeholders and sprint review the changes you're making because the old ways aren't working. And then you go forward and execute and you learn how to actually build quality into your product and stop trying to bake it in at the end. Like it. Technical excellence. Speaking of liking. Right? 
Yeah. Like and subscribe. <laughs> yep. Todd, you're getting it. That's the yeah. that's the YouTube thing, right? Yeah, what a plug in there. What a plug I, nice. I put in there. Todd's absolutely right. Like and subscribe. Check out the socials. We're pretty active on uh Twitter and LinkedIn. We're too old for Instagram and Facebook. But anyways, <laughs> some videos are popping up. Check those out as well. Uh, leave us some comments below. Ask your questions. We love turning your questions into videos. This was a question left last week, and it's now a video this week. Magic, right? So like and subscribe. Let us know in the comments how we're doing. Go forth and do some great things with your scrum teams, and we'll see you tomorrow. Hey, it's Ryan. If you're enjoying this show and want to take a deeper dive into Scrum with me and Todd, check out agileforhumans.com forward slash training. Be sure to also look at the show notes to subscribe to our newsletter, get a copy of our book, Fixing Your Scrum, and learn more about working with us at Agile for Humans. Thanks for listening and Scrum on.